0: We're going to start a series tonight for a few weeks, and I'm going to talk about waiting on the Lord, waiting on the Lord. And uh, you know, that title doesn't sound too amazing, I know that, uh, it doesn't sound like Apostolic Prophetic End Time Revelation, The Burning Heart of Jesus, or something like that, but I will tell you, the last couple of weeks I was just in the prayer room and I could not shake the... Uh, details on talking about this message, and I just really felt strongly impressed that this is uh, an important topic for us as a house right now, and an important topic for many personally, and there's a, an important paradigm that's a clear biblical paradigm that probably we don't have over this issue of waiting on the Lord. And, and so there's this so this phrase, waiting on the Lord, and we sing this phrase, and it's it you know, shows up in worship songs, and there's, there's a, um, scriptures that we see where it says you know, that we're, we're actually commissioned or commanded to wait on the Lord. But I, I'm under the impression that probably we don't have uh, much of a grasp of what that practically equals. What does it actually equal when the scripture and the Lord encourages us and yet even commands us to wait on Him? Like, What's He even talking about? And uh, And so I went through and read, I don't know, I mean, just a, a, a load of verses this week and just studying prayer and meditation, and looking at these issues on about waiting on the Lord. And I actually had a message completely ready to roll when I showed up. And then as I was just even praying beforehand, I felt like the Lord was even giving me more context um, for this uh, for this, this topic. So I want—I actually prepared even another message this afternoon, which I'm going to give you tonight, and then we'll do the one I already had prepared next week, and we'll just go from there for a few weeks. But um, so that's where we're heading now. Um, I want to contextualize this—this this thought of waiting on the Lord by by referencing the one of the key narratives in the Scripture. You know, the Bible is full of storylines. If we read the Bible simply as a book of doctrines, we've completely missed the point. Uh, It's not a matter of simple doctrines, though there are many doctrines in the Scripture. The Bible is a narrative, and it's full of stories. And it's the story of God's desire for intimacy with humanity. That's what you have from start to finish God who loves people, created people to be the object of his love. And from that beginning, we end up with all manner of bedlam breaking loose because within humanity, God offers this amazing thing, this kind of scary thing on the one hand, but this amazing thing. He actually gives humanity freedom of choice. You get to choose if you want to love him back. Now, it seems like the most obvious answer you have, the one who is love itself, who is saying, I made you because I love you, and what I want to do is flow in love with you, in relationship with you, and in intimacy, and this is my goal, to to flow in intimacy and love with you. Do you want that? You know, and you'd think the answer is, well, of course we do, but we're kind of knuckleheaded-ish, and what we see is over and over the, the story plays out of, of humanity running from the God who is love. And at times our running from Him is us standing against Him obstinately. And so what you end up with is God having to win the hearts of humanity through expressions of His glory. And that's what He does over and over and over. He shows humans how great He is, how glorious He is, how merciful He is, how wonderful He is, in an effort to hook human hearts. And, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty fascinating when you read the storylines in, in the Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, how often you find people digging their heels in You know, standing against God and rejecting the very reason for which they're alive. They're rejecting the the invitation to intimacy and love. Well, that's the same thing we see today. Ultimately, what you see in sin is people who are rejecting God's invitation into intimacy and into love with Him. So what ends up happening is that story plays out over and over and over and over through the Scripture. And oftentimes what you end up is, from from a human side, it looks like a competition. From God's side, it just looks like utter foolishness. But what you end up with is humans doing what they can in the arm of the flesh to prove that they don't need God. While God does things with with the, the arm of His strength to show us just how much we really do need God. And those two things come in con- conflict often. The arm of the flesh and the strong arm of the Lord. And, and so here's the deal. What we end up finding is that wherever there's human rebellion, it's ultimately human rebellion against God's desire for intimacy. And then humans take it to a whole another level with the help of the devil. We say, we don't just want, it's not that we just don't want intimacy. We don't want you, God. In fact, we don't just not want you. We don't need you. And that's where it goes. Until humans are saying, we can do anything and everything we need on our own without God. And that's where it is today. That's humanism. We think we're God. Now, that's pretty silly when you step back from it. You know, the guy that can't remember the person's name that he met once, he thinks he's God. He easily loses his keys or easily gets lost when finding directions, needs the GPS that can't even get him there because it's made by humans to get from point A to point B, but he's convinced he's God. Where's your keys? Tell me your bank account balance. You know what I mean? Give me the birth date of your, your three you know, ants removed. You're God. Come on. But humans Because of our arrogance, because of sin, because of the way that the flesh is and the assistance of the enemy, we will will brace ourselves in our flesh and we will stand in obstinance against God. We will oppose God. And so we have this thing over and over and over of human rebellion against God. And really it's the arm of the flesh against the arm of the Lord. And I was just thinking through the 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 multiple storylines in the Scripture of the arm of the flesh against the arm of the Lord. You know, I was the one that just—I don't know why this one always—it makes me laugh and makes me tremble. But it's just one of those that just always sticks with me. It's—it's Korah's rebellion. You know, Korah Korah stands against Moses. Korah says, "Hey, hey, listen, we don't like how God's been using you, Moses. You think you're you know this special prophet? Well, guess what? We're all prophets." And so uh, we'll prove it. We can prophesy too. And Moses is going, I don't think you really want to do this. And, and at first Moses is like, hey, let's not, let's, I don't, I'm not trying to fight here. Cory goes, no, 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 we're going to show you. I've got a bunch of people from my family. We're going to show you, Moses. And the Lord goes, yeah, let them show you, Moses. And Moses goes, uh, okay. And, and so Moses, by the command of the Lord, says, hey, tomorrow morning, tell you what, let's all show up. And the Lord is going to show us if you're right. And if I'm right, you know, or if you're right. And he says, well, if if I'm right, and at this point I think I would have taken the hint to not be on Korah's team. He goes, if I'm right, then, uh, you know, it could be that something unnatural could happen to you and the ground could open up and eat you. Like when Moses is dropping that hint, I'm going... I don't think he's just making that up. He did part the Red Sea. Okay, you know, maybe I'm just going to get back on Moses' team. He goes, so if something unnatural happens, we'll know the Lord's with me. But if nothing unnatural like that happens, then we know the Lord's with you. They all show up the next morning. Moses goes, okay, everybody's on Korah's team. Get on over there. Strong arm of the flesh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, We're against you, Moses. We don't like how God's leading through you. We've got a plan. We're all prophets too. Okay, everybody back away from Korah. Y'all that are on his team, just go ahead and put on your jerseys. Whew, the ground opens up and eats 500 people. I mean, at that point, I think Moses goes, Anybody else want to get on Cora's team? Strong arm of the Lord, weak arm of the flesh. So definitive. So Definitive. But that's the one that always gets my, it just sticks in my mind, that of rebellion is intense. David and Saul. David is the psalmist of wait on the Lord. He, he says, wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord, over and over and over. There's probably 25 explicit uh, commands in the Old Testament to wait on the Lord. And David is the author of the majority of them. Saul, on the other hand, is the one who, in 1 Samuel 13, takes matters in his own hands, waits for a week, and when he's tired of waiting, provides the sacrifice by the arm of the flesh. And it's the very thing that causes him the kingdom. Again, the the issues of of rebellion tend to be the arm of the Lord versus the arm of the flesh. And then you have Israel. And if you, if you follow God's narrative with Israel over and over and over and over, the storyline is simply this. God saying, Israel, listen to me, wait on me, obey me, and I will bless you. If you'll just wait, listen, obey, there will be a blessing. And Israel goes, mm. now we want to do it our way. And throughout the entire Old Testament, what you have is the Lord trying to rein Israel in from trying to do things her own way. Until you get like chapters like Isaiah 30, where the whole chapter is the Lord telling Israel, if you would have waited, if you would have rest, if you would have just been quiet and just, just waited and rested before me, I would have blessed you, but instead you rebelled against me, you took matters into your own hands verse 1, he says, Woe the rebellious children who take counsel, but not of me. You devise plans, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, who walked to go down to Egypt and had not asked my advice to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh and to trust in the shadow of Egypt. He goes, You guys are asking Egypt for help, and you haven't even asked me. What are you doing? You're going to the world for help and aid and shelter and, and supply and, and for military might. And you've not even asked me, Israel, what are you doing? It's the entire story of the Old Testament. Israel not trusting, not waiting on the Lord. And instead looking to human means. Well, it's the way the thing's going to end. The end of the age storyline is about the arm of the flesh and the arm of the Lord. And ultimately, humans, will they will uh, side with their best choice that they can come up with. They will find a leader that's perfectly the opposite. He's the antithesis of Jesus. He's Antichrist. He is going to be 100% the strength of the flesh with a bunch of demonic anointing. And the scripture tells us the Lord will slay him with the breath of his mouth. That's the arm of the Lord. And you see it in Psalm 2. The, the, Psalm 2 is the dramatic narrative of the way the end of the age plays out. Why do the nations rage? Why do the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth, they set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Saying, let us break off their bonds and pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. Did you know the Lord has never been threatened by the sin of humanity? Ever. Never been concerned. Ne- never sweated, never worried, never fretted. Never even went, uh, uh, maybe, uh. No, I got this. <laughs> he never even did the do I got this. Think it through. God has never had even a moment where he pump faked and thought just for a second maybe he didn't have it under control. When humans stand against God and when they rage against God, God giggles. He who sits in the heaven shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to him in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. See, The Lord has an answer for the arm of the flesh. It's the arm of the Lord. And 100 times out of 100 times, God wins 100 times. God's ways prevail 100 times out of 100 times. 100 times out of 100 times, human flesh fails, and God is shown to be wise, powerful, benevolent, perfect, and victorious every time. Now, Here's the thing with us, though. You're going, okay, what are we talking about? We're talking about waiting on the Lord. See, all of those examples of rebellion in the wicked, and the, the sinful heart of man, all of them are essentially about humanity not wanting to do things God's ways. You no, know, do things the way the Lord wants them to be done. Not to follow the ways of the Lord. He wants, mankind wants to do them by his own strength and not by the Lord's strength. Well, here's what happens to us. We get saved. We love Jesus. Our spirit gets born again. But we still have those fateful tendencies, don't we? Amen. And the thing about it is the very struggle that God has with wicked humanity is still the same struggle that he has with us after we get born again, he's just having to renew us and having to train us and having to get us into agreement with his ways. And what I find is this, that most of the struggles, most of the turmoil that people experience in life has to do with their lack of willingness to wait on the Lord. Because they imagine they can get her done. They think they can get it done themselves instead of holding on, (sighs) waiting, hearing, obeying, and then sometimes it's Waiting, hearing, and obeying. See, what we want is we want waiting, hearing, obeying, blessing. 30 seconds flat. Come on, God, give it to me. Lord, I waited, I heard, I did what you said. I'm ready. Bless me. Most of the time, it's not wait, hear, obey, bless. It's wait, hear, obey, wait. Hear, obey, wait, hear, obey. Wait, 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 wait. Trying to hear, trying to hear, trying to hear, trying to hear. Wait, 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 wait. I think I might have heard. I'm going to try to obey what I think I heard. It's mostly like that. And then all of a sudden it will be like, blessing, 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 blessing getting blessed everywhere. All this stuff is happening that there's no way I could have made happen myself if I had worked it all out in the flesh. But basically I had to wait and wait until I looked like a fool, until I, my flesh was on fire, until it was awkward. Everybody was looking at me going, what's your problem? I'm sitting here waiting, waiting. What are you doing? I'm waiting on the Lord. Man, you look like a freak. I know, but I, I'm just trying to hear God. And then, bam, he does boom, 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 boom. All these things that line up and start falling into place and you go, man, there's no way I could have made all that happen by myself. If I had worked the entire time. Our problem is, we don't like to wait. And it's over and over the command of the scripture. It's over and over the storyline. This is the storyline. The storyline is this. God has the answer. God has the ability God knows where this thing is where this thing is going, how this thing is gonna play out. God knows what's best for you. You don't have the answer. You don't know where this thing is going. You don't know how this thing is gonna play out, and you don't know what's best for you. What are you doing trying to get it done in your own strength? Am I communicating? I know. I'm sitting over there in the corner and just meditating on this going, man, I hate waiting on the Lord. I hate this. I hate looking awkward. I hate my flesh on fire. There's a hundred things I could be doing right now. I could get so many things done if I just go do something. God goes, no, 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 no. Little buddy, sit down. Let me talk about this with you. And he starts real slow. I go, okay, let's talk. He goes, okay. Okay. I go, anytime he goes, I know. I'm ready, Lord. He goes, Yeah. You look ready. Come on, Jesus. He goes, uh uh-huh. But but he's not He's not at all on my timetable ever. Ever. And truly this is it. When we try to get things done with the arm of the flesh, we fail. We create more problems. We create more issues. We get into anxiety. We get into fear. We mess things up radically. But if we wait and put to death those sinful desires of our flesh to validate itself through activity, if we wait, the Lord will be strong on our behalf. There's so many promises in the scripture. I mean, I've just got verse after verse after verse. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. I was thinking about it today, and I never thought about this before, but probably the reason that they're going to renew their strength if they wait on the Lord is because they've been running around like a chicken with their head cut off, and what they need to do is sit down and catch their breath, and they'll renew their strength. I'm sure there is a supernatural aspect to it, but if you quit trying to get all these things done and quit banging your head against the wall and you just wait before the Lord, you'll probably get a renewal of strength. There's so many promises about waiting. Psalm 27 verse 14. He says, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Here's our thing. It's just such... The opposite of the impulse of the flesh, we actually have to be trained into waiting. You know, the priest, when Aaron and his sons were anointed into the priesthood, they went through this, I mean, extensive ritual that took, I mean, just all these details that had to be just perfect. It took real, real Focus and, and they had to really pay attention. And they, once they got everything done, they would strip them down and wash the priests in front of the congregation. And then they had to wait for a week. I mean, all this stuff that they went through, all these processes of sanctification, all of these things. And when they were, it looks like, hey, we're ready. No, they strip them down and they wait. Why? Why did they do that? It was an emblem. It was a picture. That the arm of the flesh has nothing to offer. So what God would do is take the priest and say, if you're going to minister to me on behalf of men and to men on behalf of me, you're going to sit and wait before you can ever be commissioned. Because there's nothing you can do in and of yourself. And so this thing about waiting is absolutely critical. Now, I'm not talking about idleness. I'm not talking about being lazy. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about sort of going into some, you know, comatose state where you're just completely idle and lazy. That's not the point. Waiting is quieting yourself in stillness with hopeful expectation of the Lord's leadership and action in your life. That's waiting. Did I give that? Yeah. It's never in opposition to working. Yeah, but did I give you that definition? I didn't. All right, well, let me just say it again. Write this one down. Waiting is quieting yourself in stillness with hopeful expectation of the Lord's leadership and action in your life. Quieting yourself in stillness with hopeful expectation of the Lord's leadership and action in your life. It's not idleness. It's not laziness. It's never in opposition to working. Waiting is ceasing from your own ways to allow the Lord to accomplish His desires in His ways In his way through your life. Ceasing from your own ways. To allow the Lord to accomplish. His desires in his way. Through your life. That my friends. That is the crux of what this Christian journey is about. The Lord is trying to turn us into. A people who are supple easy to yield, easy to be led, a bride who's in agreement with him instead of a bride who's obstinately standing against him, imagining she knows better than he does. Wait on the Lord. So waiting, as I mentioned, it's never an opposition to work one of the reasons why it's not in opposition to work is because waiting is work. <laughs> waiting is work. Sometimes the easiest thing to do is to go do something, go make something happen. Sometimes the hardest thing to do is restrain your desire to make something happen. Anybody know that feeling? I want to get this done. I want to make this happen. Man, if I could just speed this up. I remember in my late 30s saying, man, I wish I was 20 years older. Because I wish I had the wisdom of the next 20 years already in my pocket. But I don't want any of the pain of it. (laughs) I was like, I don't want any of the the sufferings that I'm going to have to go through to get the wisdom that a 55-year-old holds. So I wish I could just push a button and be 55 right now. This is you know a few years back. Why? It's the impatience of my soul, wishing for vanity. Because the process of life has everything to do with the activity of the Lord, training the human heart to be a comparable bride. He's about training you in a way that actually connects your heart to his ways. He wants to train you and make you moldable, supple, leadable, in agreement with him. He wants to work you through the process. He's not as much interested in zapping you with the impartation as he is in training you through the fire. Because what we really would like is for me to give an altar call and me promise a, an impartation of anointed waiting that brings wisdom. It's not going to happen. There is a burn to the flesh, a required, necessary burn to the flesh that is, it's implicit, and in the walk with Christ, that we have to go through this this thing of walking out and working out our salvation, and the entirety of it is a waiting process. I'm I'm blown away when I talk to saints, senior saints, who are so far beyond me in, in the Lord and have so much more experience, and then they'll say something to me like, "Yeah, I was just you know." Talking to the Lord, and He's really just convicting me over this area and that area. And I'll look at, I'll look at these saints who are 30 and 40 years my elder and, and been in the Lord, you know, 60 years. And I just, I go, He's convicting you? Like, what could you possibly do wrong, be doing wrong? Well, I just have this area, you know, and just not really sanctified. God's just working it out of me. And I just, I go, I, I, I try to be encouraging, oh, that's so good. And I walk away, I go, oh, it never ends. It never ends. It's, it's not going to end anytime soon. Entirety of this life, it's about waiting. I've just watched this, you know, the last 10 years, being in the prayer room. So before I got introduced to the prayer room, I did a lot of ministry, a lot of ministry, we were working 70, 80 hours a week. I mean, on average, 70, 80 hours a week, running and gunning, doing ministry, morning, evening, night, just kept it burning at both ends. And we got a lot of things done. At least, you know, ministry-wise, we got a lot of things done. And then the Lord introduced me to the prayer room. He, he tricked me and brought me into the prayer room. And, uh, you know, so I remember the, the first days of, of going to IHOP Kansas City. I go, so what, what do we do? You go to the prayer room. I go, yeah, but, you know, but what do we do? Go to the prayer room. Well, what do we do after that? Well, what do you mean? I, aren't we going to do something? You are doing something. You're going to the prayer room. <laughs> I felt like I got sentenced to detention. So I'm sitting in the prayer room. And I remember my first few days, and I was like, "Man, this is awesome! The presence of the Lord is so good." I'm like, oh man, I'm just encountering the Lord. It's so rich. I look up. I'm like, "Man, I've, I've had to have been here about six hours, twenty minutes. 20, it's really nineteen minutes. Oh my gosh." Okay, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna really lean in in prayer now. Just pray everything on my heart, every verse I could think of. Look back up. 35 minutes in. I was supposed to be there like twelve hours that day. <laughs> and then the next eleven hours were just horrifying. As so I came to the end of every my my, my entire spirituality was summed up in forty five minutes. The well of depth in my soul had been dug to the forty five minute level with the Lord. And I found at the end of forty five minutes it was done that's it I need some other stimulus because God is boring after 45 minutes and man I had to come face to face with the truth that it wasn't that he was boring it was that I was shallow and I'd spent most of my time running here running there doing 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 all these things for the Lord and it just wasn't legit I didn't have a depth in God I didn't know God. He couldn't sustain me because I didn't know him. I didn't have a well of, of encounter that I'd, I'd, I'd dug with him. I just had stuff that I'd done. I just had a bunch of, you know, events and, and, and you know, all sorts of meetings. And, but I didn't have God. And over 10 years, I found when he trained me to wait, I spent a lot of time and really work in waiting And felt like I was going through detox at times. Detoxing from doing things in the arm of the flesh. Was I saved? Absolutely. But I hadn't renewed my mind in that I've got to wait on God and allow God to make of me what he wants. I had just gone with the same fervor into Christ as I had in the world. And started producing things and doing things. But I hadn't done it the kingdom way. And the kingdom way is not ever going to be accomplished through the arm of the flesh kingdom way is going to be accomplished by the ways of the king which equals we wait we hear and we obey and we wait and we hear and we obey and sometime not on our time sometime he answers he answers in magnificent ways he answers in ways that you'd never dream of Thank God. He, he answers in ways that are not even the things that I was hoping he would answer. And I found this over these 10 years. More has happened now in 10 years of primarily waiting than ever happened in 10 years of primarily doing. And this concept of waiting on the Lord is the, it's, it's one of the premier ways of the kingdom And it's the way that the kingdom moves forward. What I mean is, it's one of the premier concepts of what kingdom people have to understand and live by. Waiting on the Lord. It's one of the premier concepts that people in the kingdom have to abide by. And it's the way that God gets things done the most. is through His people waiting and then God bringing the answers. I just want you to think it through. Take a little, just take a little inventory of your own life. You don't have to answer out loud. Just think it through. Just be honest with yourself for a moment. When you've got yourself in a mess, was it because you waited or was it because you ran ahead? It's rarely because we've waited on the Lord. I'm not talking about you went into inactivity. There's a whole different thing about laziness and inactivity. I'm talking about waiting on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord has to do with inquiring. It has to do with listening. Every time, uh, except for two in the New Testament, in the New King James, it's eagerly waiting. Eagerly waiting. Not impatiently waiting. Eagerly waiting. Just think it through. When you've gotten yourself in a mess, has it mostly been because you were waiting on the Lord or because you ran ahead in your own strength. See, I think we all need a renewal of our mind in this area. Now, there is a process in the whole, this whole activity of waiting that is essential for all of us. It's, it's the breaking of the soul. It's the breaking of the soul. Just in the same way that a horse is broken, you and I need to be broken. We need to be broken of taking matters into our own hands. And so there's this breaking of the soul, just like a horse is broken from directing its own course and running at its own pace and and going by its own will. So too, the Lord breaks us in waiting. He saddles us. He puts bit and bridle on us. He teaches us not to run off. He teaches us to wait so that he can direct us in the way that he wants. Psalm 32, verse 8. I love this. He says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you by my eye. I will guide you by my eye. If we just allow the, that, that promise to settle on us for a minute, we have to, the, the question we have to ask is, do we really allow the Lord to instruct us and teach us in the way we should go? Or do we find ourselves running ahead like the horse or being obstinate against him like the mule, which is verse 9. Do not be like the horse. See, the horse runs ahead. Or like the mule. The mule, you can't get it to go for anything. He goes, I don't want you to be like either. He goes, which have no understanding, but must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. See, there's this breaking process of the soul that we have to go through where God is making us supple. He's making us moldable. He's making us leadable. He's, He's bringing us into agreement with Himself. And I'll just tell you, listen to me. I'll just tell you, God is really good at patience. He'll outweigh you. He can win any staring contest. He he is not, he doesn't flinch ever. And you know, sometimes, well, I'm not going to do that, Lord. You just have to do something to me. He goes, okay, no problem. I'm real good at this. No one's ever won against me, ever. You know, some people, they just sort of they stiffen themselves up. They sort of harden their heart. I'm, I'm not going to do it your way, God. I'm going to do it my way. I've got the plan. He goes, okay, let's see how your plan goes. Christians, I'm not even talking about unsaved people. I'm talking about Christians. Imagine they can get the thing done in their own strength. It's not going to happen. Waiting, now I'm going to give you just random thoughts on waiting. I hope this the Lord breathes on it a little bit. But waiting is fasting from your own strength and ability. Too often we believe we can get things done in our own strength. We bypass the necessary acknowledging of the Lord. We act in our own strength rather than waiting on the Lord to show himself strong. Waiting is fasting your own strength. That's what waiting is. It's fasting your own strength. Proverbs 3, 5, you know it, but let's really know it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. "...all your heart, lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He'll direct your paths." I think about Israel going to Egypt and leaning on Egypt for all their necessities. And I look at the church and I go, oh, my goodness. Are we just going to the world to find out the ways of the kingdom? Like so often the church goes, well, how's it going in the world? Let's go ahead and borrow that and make that our ways. Beloved, beloved, his ways are not our ways. There's a different way this thing is supposed to go. I promise you, I promise you, at the end of the deal, no human will be able to say, man, we did an awesome job. It will be, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, men would have risen up against us and they would have swallowed us up if it had not been the Lord who was on our side. There is not going to be one person strutting Nobody is going to come out of this. At the end of the age, when this thing all, when we all go through the fire of the great tribulation, at the end of the age, no one's going to come out and go, "Man, you were awesome." Man, that guy was awesome. There are not going to be any superstar preachers. No mega ministries. That's going away, gang. Why? Because the fire is going to hit all of it. There will be one star. It will be Jesus. And we will be going, thank you for grace. Thank you for grace. Thank you for grace. And here's the thing. Over and over, there's multiple verses where he deals with the issue of waiting on the Lord at the end of the age. The critical issue for the church at the end of the age. Waiting on the Lord. Waiting it's about fasting your own ability, your own strength. Waiting is ultimately about trust. It's ultimately about faith. I'm going to have to get into this later. But Hebrews, just write it down. Hebrews 3 and 4. Hebrews 3 and 4. The issue is the rebellion of Israel, the fact that they wouldn't wait on the Lord and obey God, and their unbelief that brought them into judgment. The issue is this. They wouldn't wait. Wait. The word he uses is rest. See, the New Testament uses two words that that are synonymous with wait in the Old Testament. One of them is rest. One of them is watch. When you see wait in the Old Testament, like when it says wait on the Lord, the New Testament uses watch and it uses rest. King James Version uses tarry. It's all the same thing. And there's this required entering in. See, remember Hebrews 4. He goes, enter into rest and cease from your works just as God did from his. There is this whole narrative that God's trying to bring us into of a people who didn't do it in their own strength. A people who gave up their own strength, waited on the Lord, were renewed in His strength, were strong in the strength of the Lord, and they were mighty and did great exploits. How? By the strong arm of the Lord, not the arm of the flesh. See, the exchange, we trade Him our ways and we receive His ways, and miracles happen that we could have never dreamed would have happened. I promise you, so often, so often, the, the RX, so often the, the, uh, the, 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 what does the doctor do? He gives you a prescription. So often the prescription is wait. Wait. Somebody asked me the other day, they said, what do you do when you don't hear the voice of the Lord? I I stuck out my bird chest and I said I always hear God's voice. No, I didn't. I said I I don't mostly always know if I if I feel like I have a leading. It's not mostly this da da I'm the Lord and I'm telling you to do this. It's not mostly that. It's mostly like I think I got something, and it's mostly I'm going to give it a try. So, with that in mind, that it's mostly the inner witness and mostly pretty you know wispy, he goes, what do you do when you, when you don't hear the voice of the Lord, which for me is often, I, I, I'm not walking around with some megaphone from God in my head, and most of the time I don't hear clearly, and I'm just waiting, he goes, so what do you do when you don't hear, I go, I wait, he goes, yeah, and then what do you do, <laughs> I go, I wait until I look awkward, and I do a lot of waiting. And if I'm up against a a real timeline, not a humanly imposed fleshly timeline because my ego's getting hurt, but when I'm up against a real timeline that really involves other people and such, I go with the best thing that I, you know, I feel like this might be the Lord. I'm giving it a try, Jesus. If it's not, I'll pull off of it. We'll do something completely different. I'm totally fine. I'm just like, Lord, I'm doing my best here. If this is what you want, then breathe on it. If not, then don't, but you know, this is what I think, so I'm going that direction. I'm not sitting there anchored to it. I did hear him. I'm doing it. If I don't know, I don't know. I'm just going to wait. And it burns the flesh like nothing else. I mean, I just remember talking to people. You know, just, we had just opened the house of prayer. We were eight months. And I was talking to this guy, this brother, who I'd known a long time. He goes, so what do you guys pray for? I go, i we pray for revival, spirit of wisdom, revelation. Pray for the church in the city. He goes, how long have y'all been going? I go, about eight months. He goes, so you got revival yet? <laughs> I went, not really. He goes, so is it like pretty awesome? I go, not really. It's kind of bad. He's just like, you know, he's looking at me like, gosh, you used to be Okay. He's training me. He's bringing me out of my own strength, bringing me into his. Training me in the exchange. Getting me out of the flesh. You know what? Most of the time, we get busy because we're afraid of the awkwardness of what it looks like, that, that, that maybe we're, we're, we're inactive. We busy ourselves to validate ourselves. Did you hear that? We busy ourselves to validate ourselves. And what's the outcome? Let me tell you something. If it's not birthed in the heart, if it's not, if it's not seated from the heart of the Lord and birthed in prayer, the thing's not of any kingdom value anyway. I mean, there's going to be a lot of houses of sticks that show up on the day of judgment. God's going to go, that is an amazing popsicle stick Eiffel Tower you made. That is so cool. Let's get a little fire on that thing. Let's see what happens. <laughs> oh, bummer. <laughs> Gone. The guy goes, That's my whole life. He goes, Yes, yeah, awesome for the flesh. It looked good to everybody, but it didn't have any of my ways on it. Because you wouldn't wait, you had to do it in your own strength. You had to get credit, and you had to look good before men. And you did it for the praise of people and not me. And it was huge before people. But man, when it stood the fire and the test of my standard. Was it birthed in the heart of the Lord? Was it, was it birthed in the place of waiting on me through prayer? When the fire touched it, it turned into Ash. That conversation is going to be repeated over and over and over, beloved, at the judgment seat. He's going to go, he's going to go you're saved, son. You're saved, daughter. Come on in. But there's your, there's your works. There's your reward. So much of that is due to the uh, resistance we have to waiting on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord. Think about Saul. I put myself in Saul's shoes and I go, oh, as much as I want to have a heart like David, I think, oh man, I think I'm a lot more like Saul than I want to admit. Let's just be honest. Samuel the prophet says, wait seven days and I'll be there. You wait seven days. The Philistines are breathing down on you. The people start scattering. And I mean, you just got to, you know, you just got to kill a sheep and burn it up. Like, okay, so we're waiting on Samuel. Okay, the Philistines are about to take us out. Everybody's leaving. We're not going to be able to fight. I just put myself in his shoes. I go, "What what would I do? There's many days I would have done the sacrifice just like Saul did. Let's be honest. His ways are not our ways, and we don't really like his ways. His ways are not our ways, and we don't really like them. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding, and I'll add in parentheses, or the ways of Egypt. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. Acknowledge Him, and He'll direct your paths. <clears throat> Waiting is about trust. Waiting is about faith. If you don't trust Him, you won't wait on Him. Is it getting too hot in here? Should I give the altar call? Waiting is not as much about the little decisions in life. It's never about obeying the Bible. You don't have to wait to obey the Bible. You've got the explicit commands in Scripture. You can always obey the commands of Scripture. You don't have to wait for that. Waiting is much more about the produce of your life over the long haul. It's not as much about the little decisions, though it it matters. Ask him in the little decisions. But it's much more about what you do. Over the long haul, what you do. Did you busy yourself with a bunch of activity to validate your existence, or did you wait on the Lord? And I found this. And I'm still, I'm still a young man, but I'm, I'm finding this nugget of wisdom. And it's it's becoming more and more precious to me. The more I wait, the more he does. And, and here's the thing: when God does stuff through my waiting, it's like impossible for me to take any credit. I was talking to somebody about all of our missionaries in the 1040 window, and they go, man, how does that make you feel? I go, I don't feel like I did anything. <laughs> they go, well, no, come on. does was like a dream come true. I go, I mean, it's awesome. I'm so excited for them, and they're stepping into some God stuff in their own destinies. It's beautiful. I love it. I love that people are hearing the gospel. It excites me. Those things are good, but I don't feel like I did anything. I just you know, cheered for him and waited. See, when you wait, it's not the, the strength of your flesh that's getting anything done. It's the strength of the arm of the Lord. And things pop into place supernaturally that you could never have worked out. Just watch him directing the orchestra of human, human affairs. Wait on the Lord and he will direct the orchestra of human affairs according to his wills and his ways. Waiting is about the produce of your life much more than it's about just the little things. And so without the the necessity of waiting, the produce of your life will be much more man-made than it will be God-made. I've said it a bunch, but I'll just end with this. He wants a people who are supple, moldable, malleable. He wants soft clay that he can work with. He doesn't want rigid, hard, obstinate, I'll get it done myself. He doesn't want any self-made bride. Think that through for a minute. What if the bride shows up and goes, I got all this done for you? He goes, That's not what this was about at all. This was about my grace. We delude ourselves as long as we imagine we're getting things done for the Lord without the massive uh, wind of his grace carrying it. Whatever we're doing that's not birthed out of waiting and, 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 and you know, breathed on by God through the place of prayer, I'm telling you, it doesn't have kingdom value. It will be shown for what it is on that day. He'll breathe on it with fire and it will turn into ash. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. It's awkward. It's painful. It'll burn your flesh. But that's what this thing is about, gang. Waiting, hearing, obeying. Oh, and here's the last little thought. I mentioned it before, but let let me just drill it in. Most of the time when you wait, even when you obey, there is a massive delay. wait obey delay wait listen obey delay that's really what it, it how it boils down and then your waiting makes you look like an idiot he doesn't mind humiliating us come on he's not about our own our glory he's into us being humble how do you get humble through humiliation he doesn't mind bringing us down a notch. It's mostly wait, listen, obey, delay. And most of the time, it's in the delay. We pull off the waiting and go get something done. Am I making any sense? I want to be, I, you know what I want to be? I want to be a people who just do what he said to do. And even if it looks simple, even if it looks, you know, unextravagant. Even if it looks just completely just bland. I just want to do what he said to do and let him worry about what he wants to make out of me, out of us. Let, let him worry about it. I promise you guys, things are not as they appear. Our vantage point from this age is very limited. Things are not as they appear. When you step over onto the other side and you actually see the activity of the age, it will blow your mind. I guarantee you. We're going to have our minds blown of what was actually going on in this age. And those little grandmas and grandpas who were in the prayer closets that were directing the course of the kingdom of God through their intercessions. We're going to all be high-fiving them. And all the big names that we think are doing so much. And I'm going to say every one of them is just whatever. But I'm just saying there's going to be so many times that person we thought was the big name doing so much. We're going to go, where's that guy? Oh, he's in the back of the line. Back of the line? Well, yeah, he's got this Eiffel Tower of Popsicle sticks <laughs> He's going to present that to the Lord in a minute. It's like, what? Well, who's that guy up there with all those crowns and that sweet robe? Oh, that's that's, you know, Joe. Who's Joe? Well, he was an intercessor for like 80 years. Really? What what church? Is this a small house church over in the Philippines? What? How many people are in their church? Twelve. He took out the garbage every day too. Joe, the garbage man intercessor. (laughs) Shining like the sun in his strength, like the glory of Jesus. What did he do most of his life? He waited on the Lord. Teach me, Lord, to wait. Teach me, Lord, to wait. Amen.